House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I am Al Warren. And we got Mr. John Copenhaver here again, double time this week. No, I came back for more. It's amazing. You can't get enough. I can't. <laughs> yeah, that's what people say, you know. I just can't get enough of me, you know. And, uh, well, Hal, so, so big outright this weekend, hey? You excited? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I, you know, it's, we got a good program set up. You're going to be on one of the shows and we've uh, got another panel of crime writers. Um, yeah, I'm outright is, uh, something that's been growing over the years. For those of you who may not know, it's a, um, on now online conference out of Washington, D.C. for LGBTQ writers. Um, but we have, you know, I like to bring some crime to the whole thing, not literally, but fictionally, and I guess true crime now. But, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be a cool, a cool event. Yeah, it should turn out all right until I get up, and then <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody will be like, oh, my God. They'll be fine. Al. No, they'll be offended. <laughs> I always do that, you know. Now, now, speaking of offended, we've got a great writer here, <laughs> Mr. Rob Osler. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. I'm just, I'm delighted to be here. Well, Rob, so you've got a book out called Devil's Chew Toy, a novel. I like that name. Um, so tell, tell me, what, what's, it, what's the basic premise of this book? The basic premise of the book is a mild-mannered gay ginger protagonist goes out regular night, Friday night, goes to the dance club, works up for him what is like a bold move is to tip a go-go boy. Again, I stress he's mild-mannered. Um, that simple, fairly innocent act um, unleashes a number of improbable events and kind of sense, sets his whole life um, on a different course. Um, and really, that's that's kind of the, the, the inciting incident is just an innocent act at a gay bar, and mayhem ensues. <laughs> so, are you um, when you write that book? Um, are you the uh, go-go boy in this, or are you uh, part of the one of the main characters? Oh, great question. No, I <laughs> I really identify with Hayden, our mild-mannered, you know, ginger pocket gay, if you're familiar with that term. You know, he's just so cute and adorable, I could put him in my pocket. He's, he's about, as, he's, as he describes himself, he's five foot four, rounding up, uh, and 130 pounds, also rounding up. So, you know, he, he's a fairly small guy. Um, he also has a, a blog on the side called Mates on Dates, which is his, you know, um, gay relationship blog, which is kind of ironic because he has no relationship. Um, but, um, it's, you know, it's, it's the conduit through which he really speaks directly to his readers, all 12 of them about, you know, the ups and downs of, you know, wading the gay, the gay dating waters. Hmm. So, um, you based this in Seattle, right? I did. I lived in Seattle for about 17 years. I kind of described Seattle as my as my spirit city. You know, people have their spirit animals. It's kind of my spirit city. It's, you know, it rains all the time. It's kind of Neil Young weather, as I describe it. And so, yeah, so I set the book there because, you know, anybody who's ever written a novel, 
You know, it's it's a lot of time you spend with the characters in that setting. And I, that's kind of where I wanted to return um, when I was writing the book. So I get to, you know, follow along with the crazy characters as they, you know, in their mad romp across Seattle from neighborhood to neighborhood. Yeah. Up on Capitol Hill, you know. Yeah, they go from Capitol Hill to Ballard. He actually, uh, Hayden, the, the star of the show, he lives at um, in West Seattle, where um, where I also lived at one point, uh, although I never lived in his apartment complex called the Orca Arms. Um, but um, there's a lot of good action that happens at Orca Arms as well as um, all other parts of the city. I bet. Seattle itself, do you, do you actually make it a character in a way? I do in a way. I mean, it, it's certainly a pretty, it's pretty dominant backdrop um, because I describe, hopefully not over-describe, but, um, you know, I try to put the reader in the variety of neighborhoods because West Seattle has its own flavor. Finney Ridge, where his evangelical aunt and his 91-year-old friend Jerry live in their, their you know, townhomes. Um, two Festers, which is the the video arcade, um, in the university district, shorthanded, you know, by those who know as the U district. So I, I do try to kind of like paint that picture of Seattle because each neighborhood is really so distinctive. Um, and I know them well. And, you know, it also made it pretty easy. It was both enjoyable for me to return to those places, but it also made it, you know, easier to write because I didn't have to do a lot of research. You know, I, I've been to those places you know, I know where the bridges are. I know, you know, the ferry, the ferry schedule and what it's like to cross, you know, to Bainbridge Island and, and all of that. So hopefully the reader can go along for a pretty immersive Seattle experience, um, uh, you know, across 300 pages with, with Hayden and Hollister in there. Yeah. Did you mention Queen Anne? Do uh, I admit? Uh, I don't think I do. Oh, but no. hopefully, I, I know that's such a such a kind of heralded neighborhood, but hopefully there'll be other books in the series. So I'm, I'm sure he'll, he'll have a reason to crawl up the hill at one point. <laughs> so you, when you start a book like this and you start putting it together, is it, is it a storyline that comes to you first or is it the character or one or two characters that come to you first? Yeah. You know, there are three things that have never changed, but only three things, the title, which you mentioned early on devil's chew toy, the main character, Hayden McCall, and I had an idea of, you know, what he was like in terms of personality and his interests, as well as his physical description. And then the inciting in incident, which, which you know, we, we, we've, we've already talked about, which is that, you know, innocent, innocent um, you know, I'm going to tip the go-go boy at, at the gay bar um, as the inciting incident. Those were the only three things that... Um, kind of stood the test of time. Everything else in in the book, in the book changed. the 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 one thing that I intended to do, and you know, hopefully, I'm reasonably successful at it, is I, I liked this notion of again that that innocent incident setting off this crazy, unexpected, almost surreal and awkward series of kind of life-threatening situations. And for that, I'm going to go way back. Do either of you remember the Martin? This is a Martin Scorsese film, but but one that I think is is often forgotten, After Hours. Do you guys remember that movie? Right, the name is familiar. Yeah, I know the name. I have, I have never seen it, though. Did you oh. recommend it? 
Yeah, it's such a goodie. 1985, so it's it's going back a ways, but stars Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette, Terry Gar, and wait for it, the incomparable Catherine O'Hara. Oh, yeah, she, she. So now I got your interest. So she, <laughs> but 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 the setup for the movie, which is so so brilliant, um, the the main character Griffin Dunn. You know, he, he, he works, I think, like as a computer programmer or a data input person. Really boring job. Um, not that all computer programming jobs are boring. He just happened to have a boring variety of that job. And after work, he goes to run this fairly innocent incident. And he loses his money. And that that simple thing triggers this crazy series of events. And then throughout the next, um, you know, 12 hours, all he's trying to do is escape these crazy people that he keeps running into and get get back home in Manhattan. And I just love that idea that, you know, you can set out on what is like a mundane, you know, seemingly routine errand and your life completely is turned upside down and you're set off on this crazy adventure that no one would ever believe in the retelling. And so that spirit of, of that idea is, is really is what helped shape the plot in Devil's Chew Toy. Um, it's just, of course, it's, it's a completely different story. But, but I, I liked that dynamic of the unexpected, unpredictable, um, crazy events. So the name, um, what's, where'd the name come from? I don't even remember <laughs> at this point. I liked the notion of, well, actually, I, there was a character in a version of this story years ago at this point. That character has been, you know, has been, um, you know, uh, killed from, 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 from the, the book long ago. But he was a, um, a very evangelical dude. And so, he actually was a villain in the story. Um, I don't want to waste too much time in like telling you the story that, that went away, but to, to answer that, the, like, where did the devil's chew toy come from? I was playing with that, that tension of, you know, he's, he's a good Christian by day, but if you, if you saw what he did when people weren't looking, he's really a bad guy. And he's, he's internally tormented by these two different people that he's trying to compartmentalize in his head. And I was like, yeah, he's like, it's like if the devil had a chew toy, that's this guy, right? He, Cause he's, he's tormented. So it's essentially, um, you know, and I also like playing, you know, with, with themes of, of religion and morality and, you know, really what is a good Christian versus, you know, not a good Christian, not that I'm a religious person at all. Um, but anyway, that ho- hopefully there's an answer tucked in there somewhere. But that, that was kind of the idea of, hmm. of where the title came from. And then, <laughs> frankly, I just I was so smitten with the title that as the book changed so much over the years, I just wanted to stick with the title. And so, you know, the, the savvy reader, or maybe not even, it doesn't, might not even take the savvy reader to see. It's like, oh, I see how you kind of shoehorned in a reason for the title, you know, at, you know, page 250 of the 300 plus page novel where one of the characters, Jerry, the 91 year old friend to Hayden, the main, the main character, 
you know, explains this, 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 this notion of the devil's chew toy in a more eloquent way than I just described it, but, but hopefully makes reason for, you know, why, why that, that, that title is, that label is relevant to the story. So why do you center things around or have them involved, I guess, uh, religion? Ah, uh, I was raised by an evangelical parent. Yeah, so I can remember many a Saturday being dragged to the, um, the, the, the big hotel. I was born and raised in Boise, Idaho, I should mention. And at the, um, at the roadway in, that was, that was like the, you know, the four star, the four story, you know, biggest hotel in town. And there would be like an all-day Saturday evangelical event where uh, a, a pastor would come in from out of town, and you know, and you would spend the day there in uh, prayer and Bible study and and song and the things one does at an all-day <laughs> Saturday evangelical Bible event. And mind you, you know, at the time, this is like. You know, I'm in sixth through, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth grade until, you know, I finally rebelled. And it's like, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, so you can imagine, you know, it, it was, there were, there were other ways that uh, a young teenager would like to spend his weekends than, than doing that. But, but, you know, having close family members who are still, um, you know, involved in that faith, who that, that, those, those sets of beliefs um, you know, largely define who they are and shape their world is is really very is really very fascinating to me because I've I've lived that experience not for for many decades but um, I've lived that experience in my past and now to be on the outside looking in and today you know when we reflect on you know all of the different you know legislation and what's going on in america and divisiveness and red versus blue and just all of that stuff that definitely has you know, like a religious component you know when we talked about like christian nationalism and that kind of thing i i find it interesting you know i mean in in many ways it's it's discouraging but i i find those tensions um that human beings can you know basically just believe believe things based on a, a, a yearning to believe versus science. And it, it just, it's that, it doesn't get more fascinating to me, you know, than, than human being and psyche than, than those sorts of issues. Do you have a point to it? Like, are you, are you, um, are you just trying to relate an experience of, of being religious or are you trying to point out something? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not trying to make a statement. I really appreciate that question. I think more than anything, I'm trying to acknowledge that, that, that that is the world. That's an element in which Hayden, that's an element of the world in which Hayden exists. Because his aunt, his mother passes away. I don't think I'm giving away too much of the book. But his mother passed away when he was in high school. So he was then raised by, by his aunt, who was, who was really only you know, um, immediate uh, family. Well, she's evangelical. And so, you know, he loves her and he respects her, but, you know, he doesn't agree with, <laughs> with her thinking. Conversely, she loves him. 
he's family, but she does not in any way understand, you know, a, a person's being gay, let alone, you know, does she, ex, you know, you know, she doesn't accept his being gay, but yet she accepts him. And I think it's just, and I don't go deep on this, you know, I just, I, I do describe their relationship in the book. Um, but, you know, I didn't want to go, you know, deeply into that because it's supposed to be a fun adventure. But I try to keep it real in a sense that it's like, you know, this is this is a part of his world and it's and it's complicated. And his feelings for her are complicated because of what she believes. And so they again, they, it's the second time I've used this word compartmentalize. But, you know, she she they, they compartmentalize these pieces of, of, of themselves when they interact with each other so they can get along and just try to focus on, you know, what they share, which is, you know, family and they do love each other, even though, you know, they can't possibly, um, you know, accept, you know, he can't accept her evangelical beliefs any more than she can really accept, truly accept his being gay. I just find that, you know, interesting because life's complex. How do you experience these characters? Like, are you seeing them visually? Do you hear the voices? Do you, um, what, what, what experience do you go through when you're working with these characters to do the book? Yeah, it's really, it's really vivid to me. I can see them. I can hear them. I am literally standing. I, I'm in the room with them. I can picture, you know, Burley, who's, you know, literally a, a physical giant with her, you know, Willie Nelson pigtails and her cowboy boots and her jean cutoffs. I can picture her. Sounds know, like I, John. <laughs> with the pigtails. If you only had pigtails. If only I had enough hair, Al, to have pigtails. <laughs> it's, you know, and before I've gotten the questions, it's always interesting. It's like, you know, who, who would play these characters, you know, if they were, if, you know, if you were ever so lucky to, like, have them, you know, turned into a movie. And I can never come up with anybody because they're so, they're so distinctive as, as like, individual human beings that I, I can't, like, put another face on them. The, the only one I can think of is, like, Della Rupert, who is the is the kind of creepy proprietress of uh, Barkingham Palace, the marvel of a boutique of a pet store in in Ballard, speaking of neighborhoods in, in Seattle. And I could I could picture her being played by like Melissa McCarthy, you know, with her seventies big you know gold rim uh, you know eyeglasses and her floral moos and her you know overpowering perfume of lilac. Um, I can see like all of the characters tend to be pretty over the top. Um, and so I can, I, that she's the only one that I can picture like a movie star inhabiting that character. Everybody else is, is really very distinctive to me. Hmm. Do they, do they sort of have control over their own destiny or is this something you completely control? I would say Hayden, I, I kind of control him and the characters I do myself a disservice, you know, you, I'm sure that you know, everybody's heard this, these terms you know, like plotter versus planner. And I'm definitely a, I'm, uh, I'm definitely a, um, oh no, I'm sorry, pan, pantser, plotter versus pantser, like flag by the seat of your pants. I, I definitely am air on the side of, um, side, fly on this, fly in, in the seat of your pants, because I let the characters just kind of do these crazy things. And sometimes it kind of works me into a corner where I'm like, well, that's not going to work. 
in terms of in terms of the arc of the story or it's just it you know that scene just kind of takes over too much of the story and, and becomes too big but i i definitely again i kind of ride alongside hayden and, and, and he's my alter ego in the stories. And so when he interacts with Hollister, I kind of go into those chapters wondering, wow, I wonder, I wonder what Hollister's going to do and to, to entertain us and take us out of our comfort zone. Because I definitely am a shyer person. I'm not very bold. Again, I relate a lot to Hayden. Um, he says at one point, one of the reasons why he really likes Hollister is, is, you know, she's got such a big, bold personality that, you know, they balance each other out. You know, he likes that because he doesn't have to be the star of the show. She is the star of the show. So he gets to just, you know, ride along beside her and be, be, be you know, largely entertained by her. And that's the way I view Hollister and Burley and Della Rupert and Roy Driggs, these other secondary characters. I just kind of, I try to set them up and create them where they can be big and larger than life and have a distinct personality in my head and then just kind of let them roll and 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 then rein them back when I need to because of, of plot points or, or arcs or that kind of thing. So I'm just curious, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure. Did you set out to write Devil's Chuchoy and thinking I want to write a, a cozy or a, or a quozy <laughs> um, or did it just sort of that that felt like the right, you know, you wrote the story and it felt like that was the right sort of, I guess, you know, way of labeling it or mm. marketing it. Um, I'm just curious. And if you if you did, did you feel um, that there was that were there ever uneasy sort of moments with this sort of um, label of cozy? Um, yeah. yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. All of the above. I'll tell you that it wasn't the first time I ever heard Cozy associated with this book. So, sorry, let me rewind and say, no, it was not my intention to write a Cozy with, you know, gay and lesbian protagonists. What was my intention, for sure, out of the gate was I didn't want the gays to be tragic victims, and I didn't want them to be the villains. Moreover, I wanted them to be largely nice to each other. I wanted friendship to be at the heart of the book. Um, I'll bring up, this is, you know, there's, there's no better time to bring up Armistead Maupin at this point. It's like, you know, his Tales of the City, which first came out in 1978, of course, there was like nine of those novels in the series. What What is beloved to me about those books is the friendships among, you know, Michael Tolliver, who was the San Francisco gay guy, Marianne Singleton, fresh from the Midwest, who's straight, and then Anna Madrigal, you know, who turns out to be, you know, a trans woman, um, you know, landlady on, you know, uh, Barbary Lane here in San Francisco. And I loved the fact that it was a story that was, that was filled with, with gay characters that had lots of, you know, gay themes and gay-related settings, but the characters weren't necessarily, you know, vicious to each other, the gay characters, and they, they weren't always the villains, and it was about friendship. So that's kind of like the sensibility that I had going in. It wasn't until my editor of the book, who I adore, by the way, Sarah J. Henry, um, said, well, you know, this is a gay cozy. And I'm like, really? 
Ben Leroy, um, also at, at the publisher, who was the acquisitions editor, he said, well, I don't know if it's a cozy. I call it cozy adjacent. And I'm like, all right, well, either way, it's like cozy. And, you know, and honestly, since then, you know, I'm like, okay, well, you know, a cozy, the, the main, the main elements, you know, to know that you've got a cozy here, you know, you don't, you don't have profanity. You don't have sex. If you do have sex, it's alluded to, it's off the page. And, you know, you don't, you don't have violence. There's usually a murder, but again, it usually, you know, happens off the page. Um, you know, made famous by, you know, a lot of the Miss Marple Agatha Christie novels where, you know, the vicar is found in the rose bush. You know, that's kind of like, oh, you probably have a cozy on your hands. Um, and then I think of like Katrina McPherson, who is, you know, very dear to me and wrote the cover blurb kindly on, on, on the, on the book, and you know, at one point she was describing cozy. Says, you know, sometimes they get so sweet, the cupcake is the killer. <laughs> and I love that. So, yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> she's so awesome. So that I, I I relay that little quote quip because I do sometimes get uncomfortable with cozy. I'm not bashing cozies at all because well done. You know, they can be as as entertaining and well crafted as any other genre or subgenre. Of fiction, but you know, I I I I didn't set out to write that, and sometimes they can be, not all of them, by and and they're not defined by by being too sweet, but but um, but I didn't want to make it too sweet, and it, it kind of goes back to your question, Al, about you know these 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 elements of religion or trying to keep it real, um, you know, because Camillo the Go Go Boy is also a dreamer, right? So I I I throw that in there to you know to keep it to keep it real that life is is messy and I didn't want it to just be too too saccharine sweet a story and living in this you know in this kind of sanitized world but at the same time doing the balance with you know not going too deep on on any issues like Hollister being a black you know lesbian you know woman in America and not trusting that the police are going to do everything they can to find Camillo you know that's her story to tell and that's probably a very valid legit belief she has, but I'm going to stop short of going deep into, you know, a black woman's experience in America because that, you know, hardly is that my story to tell. It's fascinating because I think cozies are, um, you know, I, I don't write in that sort of subgenre myself, but I know that there's been a lot of, they, they can be very actually um, wonderful at addressing, you know, difficult social issues, but making them sort of accessible um, to a, a fairly wide audience. That's just fascinating to me. But sometimes they sound really limiting, right? Because of all the rules, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm like, mystery fiction has a lot of rules already. So, <laughs> um, but I, you know, it, it does, I feel that balance is hard to strike. So I think, you know, but understandable that you, it, it sounds like you've done that. And so, um, I don't know, that's, that's, I think, a cool thing. Do you, uh, want to con continue with this series, or you want to go a different direction, or what? What? What's? What, what's on your mind about that? Yeah, I, I have a second book in the series, um, sitting sitting with uh, Sarah, the editor. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that you know that will that will be a go soon, because I I I I really. I, I like the characters. It's probably important for an author to actually like their characters. So, so I do. And, and so I've got lots of stories and adventures that I'd like to take them on. I've got another historical series. As I mentioned early on, I was born and raised in you know, places of Boise, Idaho. And 
I came across a plaque of this building called the Natatorium, which was built in the late 1800s, which is, which was like the largest indoor swimming facility in the world. And it was in Boise, Idaho. It was oh, this, wow. it was, it's this, it's like a, a Moorish cathedral to indoor swimming with naturally, you know, heated uh, geothermal heating of, of the water. And I just remember looking at the plaque. It, it, it blew down in a, in a windstorm in like 1936. It stood for like 45 years. And I thought, wow, that is one spooky looking building. And in the early 1900s, that would be a great setting for a murder mystery. So I created a character, Harriet, um, who travels to Boise from Chicago. She's, she's a private detective with, with an agent, with a Prescott agency, which is fictional, but there were, there were female detectives at the time, very few of them in New York and in Chicago and other large cities. And she has to go to Boise, Idaho, which is the, which is still like the most uh, geographically isolated capital city in, in, in the country. And, um, and save her brother from a crime he didn't commit, uh, which was a murder at the natatorium. And uh, the twist there, because it's kind of my thing, is um, Harriet does a good bit of her sleuthing as Harry, uh, because she is a lesbian in 1908. And it's one thing to be that in Chicago, which is, you know, no great shakes, but then she goes to the far west. So... I, again, playing with these kind of norms of, you know, you know, a very conservative society, 1908 Boise, Idaho, and, and you know, here comes Harriet, um, and, you know, dealing with the Chinese and the Irish, and, you know, there's just kind of interesting things there. So um, I think my, my lane is, 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 is these mysteries, good-hearted characters at the core, but, um, but always queer characters. Did you put in a how do I say a subtext or a meaning? Like if, if someone picks up the devil's chew choy and they bring it home, they read it um, below all of the entertainment. Um, is there some sort of point that you're trying to make? Yes. And I think it's this, it is, you know, friendships are the most important thing ever. And it was important to me that Hollister and Hayden develop this really strong friendship, even though like physically I made them about as different as I could. Um, personality wise, I made them as different as I could, but their united, you know, mission of finding this guy that they both like and care about, you know, brought them together and throughout their time together, almost this kind of forced, you know, crime duo, um, they, they, they came, they, they come to not only really become really best friends, but also just really love each other and look out for one another. And so it's really like these unexpected friendships and being open to them. And that really is to me, um, hopefully that comes through in the book, but, but at least that was my intention. Um, as, as the theme, because hopefully, you know, when you, when you, you, you read the last line of the book, you think, oh, that was fun. You know, I mean, nobody's winning a Pulitzer Prize here with this thing. And, you know, it's very frothy. It's very fast paced. Um, I, I hope you have fun. But at the end, I hope you think, wow, I like those characters. And I love the fact that they're such good friends, even though they're completely different people. And that's great. Um, 
because, you know, those are the kind of friendships I want. You know, I mean, a lot of our friends are, are very much like us. You know, you find yourself like going out to dinner and you all kind of have the, the same hue of clothing and the same vibe and all that. But it's, you know, in this divisive world, and I don't mean to make more of a statement out of the book and it's, it's a mission than, you know, I don't mean to overstate it, but, but, you know, it's like, can't we all just kind of get along kind of thing? And so, you know, the black butch lesbian and the little ginger pocket gay become the crime fighting duo and in, 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 in doing so become lifelong friends. How do you um, sit and write? Like what's your process so um, when Rob is going to put the book together, he's decided he's going to write a book. You sit down, you have some of the ideas. What do you, can you plan your time? Like I'm going to write nine to four today and, and do it all like that. Or do you have to be in a certain mood? No, I, I usually will just, um, if, if I've got a day part, I usually think it's like I'm either going to like have the morning or the afternoon, and just depending on what else is going on in life, I'll, I'll try to, you know, kind of dedicate one of the day parts to writing. And depending on where I am in the kind of in the in the process, if, if I'm just starting out, I usually will just like on a notepad, scribble out the characters and kind of, you know, what their role in the story is. Um, if I'm actually writing, the one thing I do try to do is just because it drives me crazy if I stop short of a, par- a chapter. I try to, I try in each um, kind of day part, again, an, an afternoon or morning, I try to get to at least a draft, a rough draft on the, on the screen um, of an entire chapter. Of course, you know, we're writing, I'm writing in, in this genre where, you know, it, the, the chapters are pretty short. They're not thriller-like chapters, which tend to be even shorter, sometimes a page. But, you know, they're usually about seven, seven pages, six to seven pages, sometimes five, but usually six to seven pages. Um, and I just I try to try to um, get the draft to that point. You know, I'm curious about this is a question I've been thinking about a lot myself, Rob. But what initially attracts you to the mystery story? Like, I don't I'm not really talking about cozy or something like subgenre questions or like what about the structure of a mystery story do you feel like you know um it it speaks to you Uh, you know it certainly has always spoken to me and i find myself even if i'm writing something that's not necessarily the big label mystery it's still structurally there's there's a mystery there you know so i'm sure what what has drawn you to it yeah well i mean i can remember like having chicken pox um, I'll make this relevant. Um, as I think I was like in fifth or sixth grade, and my mom started reading um, Agatha Christie novels to me. You know, I could read myself at that point, but you know, it was like I was sick, so you know, that was kind of like a treat. And I immediately, I just love, love, love the puzzle, right? Because when done well. And I'm not comparing myself to Agatha Christie, by the way. In this, I'm just, you know, when 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 they're done well. You know, you have all of the clues. They were all there. They were all, you know, subtly there, put in the right moments, in the right chapters, said by the right characters, dropped at the right time. And it's this, this, and then when you get to the moment of the reveal, right, the magic when well done is you go, ah, oh, I should have seen that coming. It was all there for me. I just love that, that puzzle. And also just, 
the crime, you know, because you, you've got a crime, that element itself, and I don't think it always has to be a murder. In fact, you know, nobody gets murdered in in Devil's Chew Toy. Um, but, you know, that, you know, we, we, we love, you know, humans love crime shows because there's so much excitement and drama. And immediately, you know, if there's a crime, you've got a villain and you've got a victim. And so you've got those ready-made elements for tension and there's, there's places to go and things to do. Um, so I've always, uh, from, for me, I guess just being a little kid, that was kind of my go-to favorite genre. Um, that said, you know, I'll read nonfiction and literary fiction, but, um, to, ch to change it up sometimes, I've got some favorite authors in those categories, but, um, you know, I, I just love the, I love, I love the puzzle of where is this going and, you know, what, what happened? It's interesting because I do have uh, friends, writer friends, who do not think they, they don't sort of have their imagination is very different. They don't have that sort of structure, that desire. They see it much more as um, I don't know, they're, they're more interested in, I guess. Um, I mean, I think we're all interested in, in character psychology, like the why I think still is very it, it's, it's certainly from my standpoint drives me as a writer. But they don't think structurally like a mystery. They don't think about clues called gelling together to sort of, you know, give you that whole picture. And I think um, it's just interesting to see or hear what other authors think or why they might choose that. I mean, I think a lot of us had early experiences with Agatha Christie. <laughs> That's a theme. Um, she, she was uh, actually, I still think, a kind of uh, an important, like, middle school read for so many yeah. um, writers, particularly crime writers in, um, in my generation. But uh, uh, I was just curious. Yeah, I think it's certainly the the way our minds work is just a little different than some other writers. So. Yeah. And it's, you know, you can be tricky. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a shout out here for, you know, the, the Savage Kind, which I really, really, really liked, as I think you know. But, you know, you have all these different characters, like, you know, Miss M, you know, the English teacher, mentor to the girls, I'll be trying to be careful not to give any spoilers. <laughs> no, it's like, that's just, that's, you know, one character, you know, and she's not the one of the two main, main characters. But you're like, all the while, I'm like, all right, what's, what's up with her? You know, I mean, she's like, there's something going on with her that I know is really meaningful, more meaningful than just the way she's presented on the page and, you know, like the early chapters. What is it? You know, and so there's these different layers that, you know, when in the hands of a good author, such as yourself and others, you know, it it, it makes for a more intriguing read because you have all these different layers and these themes and you're like, oh, what's up with him? What's up with her? What does that mean? You know, and so it keeps the reader guessing. And, and I, I find it a, a challenge to write and then, you know, a delight to read, you know, those that are well done because they, they give you so, they give you so, they give you so much. There's so many layers. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you do that. Well, I was going to say, I bet you do that with people you meet too. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very much a reflection of the human condition. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think, I think even in literary fiction, I think for a good literary fiction, you should be sort of seeing pieces and then get some, by the end of it, understanding of what's going on psychologically, it kind of works like a mystery story. It's just yeah. more, you know, it doesn't have to be so much like clues adding up. Um, but 
I think there is something to it, but uh, it, it certainly is something I continue to think about as a writer. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you do too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I wonder if you, do you, do you actually um, watch people or people you know and pick up maybe some of their personality traits or behaviors and incorporate it in some of your characters? Yeah, I, abso- <laughs> I absolutely do. I'll, I'll return to like the, the, the character Della Rupert, who again is the, uh, is the creepy proprietress um, of the Marvel of the Pet Store, Barkingham Palace, that I was saying, you know, well, Melissa McCarthy could play her. She is patterned after um, a childhood friend who shall not be named, but I I completely see this person and the way they have a sing-songy voice and they they even use some of those words. It's like, oh no, darling, now sugar. It it and they like within a minute they'll they'll use like sugar and darling and sweet pea several times. It's and, and, and I'd almost think like, oh, I'm overdoing it. If I didn't know, no, I'm not. There's a human being who exists like this. And I, I love these over-the-top characters. It's like, and I was, I was mentioning after hours earlier and going like at way back in the time machine, another time machine is like, this is Spinal Tap. Do you remember <laughs> that, right? With Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, those those mockumentaries, they're so great because, you know, like, I think it was like Nigel Tufnell or, or Derek Smalls, those two characters. One was like, yeah, I for the amplifier, they're like, yeah, I turn it up to 11. It's 11, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was just so silly. But I, I love the silly and the over-the-top. And some of the characters like Burley and Della, in my mind, literally, I'm like, okay, you can turn these these characters, you can turn them up to 11. Just don't go past 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So do, do you um, like to interact with fans, readers, people? Do you do social media, website? How do people get a hold of you? Uh, through through social media, I mean, probably like a lot of authors, it's it's a blessing and a curse. It's awesome because, you know, through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, uh, name, you know, naming the platforms we all we all use, um, you know, I have been able to connect with readers and, you know, Goodreads is another great one, um, different Facebook groups. Uh, and so I'll, 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 I found a lot of readers that way. They found me. Um, I'm on all those channels. Also the website, um, you can contact me through, you know, robosler.com. Um, and I love, you know what I really I I love the the conferences. Um, this is my debut novel, so I've only been to two. I actually met met John um, at at the, uh, uh, Malice Domestic and Left Coast Prime. Um, Bowser Khan is coming up early next um, month. I, I love those because you you know you meet other authors and everybody is truly so lovely and supportive in this community. You don't really get a sense of like competition that, you know, it's like people are only going to read my book or your book. So, you know, we got to fight it out. It's like, you know, it's just so silly. There's, there's, there's plenty of readers and plenty of great books for everybody. Um, so I, I love, I love the writing community. I love the readers. I love to hear from them. Um, 
Uh, I'm not a terribly uh, gregarious person. You know, it's like if we're in the elevator, I probably won't say anything. But, you know, if we strike up a conversation, I like I'm, I'm more like I'm better one on one than I am in a crowd. Yeah. Are you doing TikTok? <laughs> no, my one, no, you know, at the same time, I have like one foray into that because, you know, it's like book talk, book talk. You got to be there. And it's like, oh, man, you know, it's like I. I, I'm I, I'm on there enough where I kind of you know I get what it is. Um, I'm a little generationally limited by that, um, but you know I, I have reached out to a few people and like Aaron, Aaron's book talk right because I, I figured out he's you know he's a he's a gay guy who reviews books so you know I friended him sent him a book and you know and then he did a you know 15 second video on um, on 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 the book so. I have one, I have one moment or one, you know, there. And so, but, but really um, the short answer is no, I'm not active on, on book talk. If I had a child or a nephew to help me do videos or something, it may be kind of fun, but. I'll just put on some lipstick and a wild wig and get on there and start dancing. (laughs) I know. See, if it's like, I I need it, I need a Hollister in my world to help me do that. Yeah, it's funny. I just got I just got on TikTok myself because I was like I just read an article in um, in I want to say New York Times, but it might have been the New Yorker um, about how like TikTok is taking over essentially, like it's going to be the new modality, et cetera, et cetera. In the future, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I really have to figure this thing out. Um, I immediately got on. I was like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> this is too much. But he, I think you do kind of have to start figuring it out. It's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. Comfortable yeah. making videos of yourself. <laughs> I lost all my hair when I go on there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so here we are. Um, I'm just wondering now, Rob, um, what was the pandemic like for you during the writing process and i and i mean did it sort of interfere with your writing did all the emotional stress and the weird stuff going on outside of your door in the outside world um interfere or stop you from having a creative right no honestly it really it really didn't um i found the whole experience to be increasingly depressing I mean, just in, in life in general, yeah. because like, like me and my longtime uh, partner, um, I think of like 23 years, I should know the right number of years, 23, 24 years. But like, you know, one thing that we used to do is we'd go to Orange Theory. You familiar with that? Like, it's like, it's like aerobics for adults in the, you know, in, in this year. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's group exercise. Um, and, you know, and so we, you know, we would do that as part of our weekly routine. Well, you know, COVID comes along and shuts that down. You know, going out to dinner with friends, COVID comes along, shuts that down. It, it became so isolated that, you know, after a while it got really depressing. And we would, I bring up Orange Theory because I can still, I can still <laughs> remember us, like trying to do these in-home workouts that you know, Orange Theory would create and put online. They were really great about doing that. They're still online. You know, and so we would like buy, you know, water jugs, you know, like gallon water jugs in lieu of weights because you couldn't even buy weights. And if anybody has seen me, John has met me in person. You're like, you'll know that I'm not a weightlifter. 
<laughs> so it's like, so the gallon, the gallon jugs of water, you know, were plenty of weight. But, you know, us like kind of you know, like flailing our arms around with these, you know, uh, water jugs of, uh, you know, gallon water jugs during the pandemic, you know, just trying to trying to get some exercise and trying to, you know, stay reasonably uh, fit and then, you know, not being able to go out to dinner with friends or even, you know, like see friends for months on end. Um, yeah, like everybody, I, I'm sure it's like the, 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 the pandemic was just, it, 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 it emphasized how much, even if you're, even if you're like me and you're not gregarious, how much human interaction and you do need to see people, you know, we're, we're social creatures, um, on whatever, wherever you lie on the spectrum, you know, being a loner or a homebody or the most gregarious life of the party, you know, we all need human interaction. And I'm just, I'm just thankful for, for Brian, my partner, that, and, and our tall gray cat, Andy Action Cat, um, that, you know, at least I had two other sentient beings, you know, within the walls that I could, you know, interact with. But for writing, you know, I was like, well, I don't got any excuse because <laughs> there's not, you know, I'm not leaving the house. So, yeah. um, there, there wasn't a lot of distraction. Yeah, I just wonder if it, if it, if stressful and and things. Uh, do you think it seeps into your writing somehow? No, honestly, it, it 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 didn't. I don't know if I'm super lucky or if that's common, but um, I don't know if I'm more. I don't think I'm more disciplined than the average person. But usually, when I you know when I plop down in front of the computer to like do my day part. And sometimes it's, you know, both morning and afternoon, but I, I can pretty much just kind of lose myself in the characters and the story and the setting and, and, and go about my business. In, in many ways, it's such an interesting line of questions. It, it, it's kind of an escape from the isolation, you know, cause it's somewhere I can go and not, and during those, those few hours, not be thinking about, you know, the fact that, you know, we can't do all this stuff that we used to do and that people are getting sick and that, you know, emergency rooms and, you know, healthcare providers, you know, in, when it was really, 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 you know, in the throes of the pandemic, you know, this totally oppressing, upsetting people's lives, getting sick, not to mention, you know, people dying, you know, it, it was, it was a place to go and escape. I would go, you know, take an adventure with Hollister and Hayden in Seattle for a couple hours. Hmm. Well, thank God we had Donald Trump telling us to drink bleach. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, Jane Fonda's got a new uh, workout video for you. She does? Yeah, just, she just released it today, 85 years old. Oh, yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> Her. Yeah, yeah, she's got a new line of, of workout clothes as well. So there you go. <laughs> We're ready for another another round of, of COVID. <laughs> don't say it <laughs> don't say it yeah well we're ready for the monkey box yeah. well it's it's been a good conversation you're a very interesting man and and um good luck on your book it's called the devil's chew toy a novel and the writer has been our guest mr rob osler thank you for being here al john thank you so much it's been a real pleasure i appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you guys talk about my book thanks rob Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. 
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.